Hey everybody, how y'all doing? I'm Michael, joined by Alex as always. How's it going? And this is Fallen Through Plot Holes, a podcast about video game plot lines and how they have a tendency to go off the rails. And this is part three, the final part of our series on Destiny. Original Destiny, Destiny 1, Destiny Light, uh, the previous Coke version of Destiny before the new Coke version that will come later. That version of Destiny, the uh, massively multiplayer online game developed by Bungie, published by Activision, that uh, started out with absolutely no story. And in this version of this episode of the podcast is going to get into all of the story as they finally find their footing, uh, but not before they completely stumble out of the gate with the first couple of DLCs. If you want to listen to other episodes of that, go to ftp.podbean.com. Although if you just want to hear about the ways that they try to write the ship, well, you're in the right place because we are going to be talking about years two, well, actually, technically, the end of year one, year two, and then year three of Destiny, which Yay. was not intended. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when we get to Destiny 2, we are going to be on a very strict year-to-year basis with that. That makes sense. That makes a yeah. lot of sense. It does. There's also going to be a lot more story and stuff to go through with that one. So yes. it just, you kind of had to handle with this. Whereas with this, as you'll see, things are going to happen that year three actually doesn't have a whole lot of going on. But yeah, Alex, how are you doing? I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm currently set up in my living room as we're managing some uh, minor electrical issues with my new apartment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so apologies to those listening if you hear any weirdness from the strange setup, but we're making it work. Yeah, yeah. It'll be fine. The The echoing will add to the gravitas of Destiny as we talk about, you know, an awful lot of the hive today. Mm. So, you know, it, it's going to work out just fine. So this is going to be a long one, Alex. Yeah. So we might as well just jump into it. But to catch people up, we ended with Destiny 1, a game that basically has very little plot. It involves a guardian being revived by a ghost, a little flying robot in the far future. His humanity is on the edge of extinction, only protected by the light of the traveler, a giant floating orb that could basically grant scientific knowledge and other stuff, literally magic, as the forces of darkness try to destroy it. Uh, at the end, the forces of darkness were thwarted, or at least th- that's what the game told us. Yeah, really I, I clear, guess honestly. those were the forces of darkness, the... The Black Garden was important to someone, yeah. I guess. Yeah, it probably was. It seemed like the Vex, the robot people, it was important too, but... Yeah, I mean, we we still don't know what the Vex actually want or care about, really. Yeah, yeah, not at this point. And um, we might learn what their deal is later. We're never going to learn what the Black Heart's deal is. No, so. yeah, that, that was just a thing that happened. Yeah, that just happened, and congrats, you did it. Uh, move on to the next DLC that released three months after Destiny as we move on to the Dark Below. So to remind everybody, the cadence that Activision wanted with with Bungie as far as like Destiny releases was basically either like main game or big expansion, then mm-hmm. two smaller DLCs before another big expansion or a new game. So these next two are going to be relatively small, and they're going to be relatively small, not because of this, not only because of this cadence, but because uh, as we're going to find out, Destiny has a lot of problems mm-hmm. and they're going to be very busy fixing those problems. 
And their solution to fulfilling a con contractual obligations is just going to be like, here's this. <laughs> Have fun, I guess. Uh, one thing that's going to come up a lot in Bungie's history is they don't work well under other people's constraints. No. Which is unfortunate because they constantly want other people's money. Yes. Yeah. So they will constantly sign deals and in a few years later being like, how can we get out of this deal? Mm -hmm. Which uh, means, I guess, wait until a few years from now when they try to get out of that Sony money, I guess. I guess. And maybe that Tencent money as well. I don't think that one's possible. That's not going to happen. No. Tencent, once Tencent has you, they have you. They have you. Yes. <laughs> Soon, all companies will be owned by Tencent. Can't wait. Yay. So, The Dark Below. So, The Dark Below starts with a voiceover from a guardian, who with her fire team of six have gone into the High's underground labyrinth on the moon in order to defeat the evil there. Only, she kind of lost her entire team. Now, the creature she lost her team to was Crota, the son of Oryx. Oryx being the king of the Hive, and... Believe me, we're going to get into his deal later. <laughs> oh, boy. So King of the Hive is a little bit of a stretch, but we'll get there. Yeah. It, once you learn about the high social structure, you're going to be baffled, I imagine. <laughs> I know I certainly was. Yeah. So Eris Morn, uh, this particular guardian, was a former vanguard who, much like a fire team, tried and completely failed to defeat Crota. Her ghost was destroyed. She lost her eyesight as, as she was trapped in the depths below the surface of the moon for years, basically wandering around, trying not to get eaten by Hive. Despite this, using the bone of an Amakara, a powerful shape-shifting beast, who's fucking weird, man. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned for Destiny year two, year three for that one. God. God. It's a weird shape-shifting wish dragon. <laughs> uh, it's a powerful shape-shifting beast uh, rumored to grant wishes she manages to survive gain her vision back after stealing the eyes from a hive acolytes and clawing her way out to Hellmount and making her way back to Earth so Eris basically has the most sad story out of any character in Destiny and trust me it's only gonna get worse from here and boy are they gonna constantly remind you how sad it is mm-hmm She's a very sad girl. <laughs> now, unsurprisingly, Eris is heavily changed by ex this experience. And now she is very sullen, withdrawn, PTSD suffering, some survival guilt, and is incredibly distrusting of everyone. She manages to talk with Ikora of the Vanguard and tells her that Crota is planning an invasion of the Earth and he needs to be stopped. Now, the Vanguard are a bit reluctant about this, because the last time they tried to stop Crota, it went terribly. You see, Crota was the one who initially led the Hive to the solar system in the first place. Now, upon settling on the moon, they, dis they were discovered by humanity, who immediately decided to launch an invasion of the moon. This is post-collapse, by the way. Mm -hmm. Now, they had hoped of defeating the Hive, reclaim the moon for their own good, and basically give them a foothold off of Earth for the first time in centuries that they could recolonize everything. Now... Alex, this battle is called the Great Disaster. <laughs> <laughs> because, you see, Crota is nearly invincible. And he led his forces to battle and basically killed hundreds of Guardians, which, given there's only like a few thousand of them, mm -hmm. real bad for them. 
Yep. Now, this should have been basically the end of humanity as a fighting force, except one of Crota's generals got into a dumb argument with one of Crota's aunts. <laughs> a hive named Zivo Arath, who we're going to get into her deal to. Oh, boy. And basically, his general died in the battle. A very realistic thing historically, actually. Mm, yep, fair. <laughs> Look back on the American Revolution where George Washington kept getting angry at his generals for dueling each other. <laughs> <laughs> so this meant that he lost one of his temples on the moon, which was a source of his power. So Crota basically had to hang back and recoup his power first before doing a more formal invasion of the Earth. If you remember the last episode, we were talking about how it was like kind of weird why the Hive were just barely showing up now. Mm -hmm. This is why, because Crota's like, I don't know if I have the power to do this. I need to recoup that first. Right. The Vanguard and the Consensus did suffer consequences for this. Basically, the people of the last city lost almost all their faith in them, and their command and leadership of humanity became a bit more symbolic, leading to the rise of the other factions, such as the future war cults, Dead Orbit, and New Monarchy. This is more background information. It's never shown in game. <laughs> yeah, but you know things are bad when people are looking over at New Monarch and going, you know, those guys might have a point. Yeah, yeah. What about the guys who just want a monarch for some reason? Or Yeah. The future war cult. They just want us all to die. Yeah, they. I mean, you know. I mean, we're going to anyways. So, long story short, you and a bunch of other guy guardians fight Crota's consort Omnigool. Preventing her from raising a hive army on Earth. Uh, Omnigol is very funny because she gets kind of retconned out in a way. A little bit. She has a, her own strike that eventually just gets repurposed for Zivu Arath. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally the exact same strike. shift her now. Which is like, poor Omnigol. Yeah. To be fair, Omnigol's strike sucks. And it, yes. they don't make it better, as it turns out. It turns out. So, they do that. Um, you defeat the Swarm Princes and eventually invade Crota's hideout and defeat him before he can fully regain his power. You then follow this up by finding and killing Omni Gold in her strike before she could do a summoning ritual with the intent of bringing Crota's soul back. And that is the Dark Blow. Did that seem slight? Yes, it was. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> that's, what, that's what happens when you have three months to completely rebuild a DLC from scratch that you charge 20 bucks for. Yep. Everyone was disappointed. Crota's End is a terrible raid, and people have since forgotten about it until they brought back Crota's Raid for Crota's End for some reason. It, it's probably better now. Sure, most things are better now. Mm. One thing I'll say about Crota's End when it first was released is that mm. if you had a certain weapon, a certain heavy weapon, the Galahorn, also mm. known as the Ballerhorn, uh, basically the most powerful weapon in the game, which was basically a random drop from strikes, uh, you were basically able to get onto any raid team you ever wanted, which meant me, right. a bad Destiny player who was always <laughs> YOLO, was able to get onto any raid team because I had a Galahorn. Uh, they eventually so, just took that gun out of the game. <laughs> is this a good time for us to talk about Bungie's promise of, like, na player-driven narrative and storytelling through gameplay mechanics and how that actually shaped out? I think we should save that for the Taken King when they break that shit. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and we'll get there very soon, because we got to talk about the next DLC that released, like, three months after that in March. Okay. I, I will briefly mention, before we leave Eris Morn, yeah. that I despised this character for years. She doesn't have a good introduction, no. The, her portrayal and her entire execution in The Dark Below is... 
nothing about the way Destiny has been done up to this point prepared them to handle a character like this well. Yeah. And they didn't. Mm -hmm. She is just broody and sad and defeatist and you just get bored of her so fast. Yeah, she has nothing below her other than some survivor's guilt and her thing of like, Crota's going to kill you all. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're you're like, okay, well, but the, the survivor's guilt angle is like interesting and sad and compelling. No, not the way they do it. Yeah, no, it's not. She's like, my entire team died, therefore you will too. And that's about as far as it goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she's going to play a big part in the Taken King as well. She's not mm-hmm. going to be much better there. No. Uh, it's not going to be until Destiny 2 when you get to, uh, I think, Shadow Keep. Yeah, Shadow Keep. The second half of Shadow Keep does a bit. Be- Shadow Keep starts to fix the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Because they make, they actually do things that make good on her losing her team and you learning right. more about them in a way that's very interesting. Right. Um, they only is- do it poorly for the first half of the expansion this time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Shadow Keep's not great, but they at least try to do good by Eris. Right. Yeah. But yeah, no, Eris is going to be a pretty major character for going on from here. Um, I, I'm trying to think if technically her first time she shows up is actually... I'm trying to think if the Halloween event started before the Dark Below came out. Maybe. Or if that happened one year afterwards. Because your introduction to Eris Morn may have been there. <laughs> Uh, which at, at that point is actually kind of funny because you go around basically getting candy and she just gives you toothpaste, which is right. fun. Yeah. Yeah. She she thinks that basically celebrating is dumb. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's Eris. That is the Dark Below. House of Wolves, a DLC that might be worse somehow. Might be, but at least it has some fun characters this time. It has fun characters, but it trades it out for no raid. Yeah. And instead gives you a weird horde mode sort of thing that isn't really and is just not fun called the Prison of Elders. Yeah. So the House of Wolves starts with the trailer of Marasaw talking about how when the Fallen showed up in the Reef, she showed them mercy, which was not true, but whatever. Yeah, um, you know. And, in, and instead they decided to betray her. How could they betray her? So she's going to open up the reef to the Guardians so they can freely hunt the House of Wolves and get revenge for the Awoken. So, if you remember, in Destiny, the Woken had control over the House of Wolves, a fallen house that basically was trying to join with the rest of the houses that were on Earth to attack the last city. But then they flew through Awoken space, and the Awoken decided to just kind of mess <laughs> with them. <laughs> so, in the end, the Reef Wars happened. Their former leader was killed. Their new leader was imprisoned, a man by the name of Skolas in the Prison of Elders. And everything should be great. That should be all they wrote for the House of Wolves because Marasov is their new Kel, and they're essentially now a client state. Except Marasov is going to do something very silly. She's going to decide to make a trade with a group called the Nine. Oh, boy. Um, Just to prime it, the Nine might be the most baffling, nonsensical aspect of Destiny's entire story. Yeah, they might be. Um, when I saw this bit of backstory and realized I had to look up what the Nine's deal was, this might be the first part where I sighed and went, this is not going to be an hour long. This is going to be two hours. Mm-hmm. Because, as yeah, as you said, Alex, the Nine are wild. 
So we're going to learn what their true deal is in Destiny 2 Year 6. And by true deal, we're not. But you at least get to go somewhere where we find out they have a space unicorn. That might be their god. Um, it's strange. It reminds me of when George Lucas was talking about his plan for the third trilogy of Star Wars movies. Oh, God, we should have gotten it, too. And he was like, yeah, they were going to get real small and go into people's bodies where they were going to meet the wills, who are these microscopic organisms who create the force or mm. something stupid like that. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, it was really, it was great. Everyone was going to hate it. <laughs> the nine just remind me of that. Like, what if actually Star Wars went to a place that stupid at one point? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? Right? Yeah, because the nine, yeah, the nine's origins are very stupid. And like up to this point, our interaction with the nine has been through a character called Zer. Zer was cool because Zer just one day, like three weeks into the game, just showed up. <laughs> Every, like on, on a Saturday, and he's just like, I have incredibly good guns if you have the currency. And, and you were like, were like, holy shit. Also, hey, Zer, why is your face like a void squid? Yeah, like he has like weird, like. Like, where tendrils coming off of it, and he just emanates gas, and he's just cloaked in a hood. And he's like, and he, shut up and buy my guns. Yeah, it's like, you want the Suros Prime? It'll make you good in the multiplayer. And it's like, hell yeah, I do. Yeah, and like, he would just like, the next weekend he would show up again with new guns, but he'd be in a different part of the tower that you had to, like, look up online where he was. Yeah, he was like... Him and Petrovenge were like the two things that happened with the first couple of weeks of Destiny. Mm -hmm. They were like, oh, wow, maybe every week there's going to be a new mystery. No. And then they kind of stopped after that. <laughs> uh, and we realized we've been had. Yeah. Uh, For the first time of many. Yep. So the nine, I guess we should talk about a little bit about them. Mm. We're going to learn more about them in Destiny 2 year six. But in the meantime... They're a race of dark matter beings who hail from Jupiter and beyond and are arguably as old as the solar system themselves because being dark matter, they just kind of existed. Mm -hmm. So they were a cloud of dark matter that got trapped by the gravity of the sun and the planets. And after life developed on Earth, that life on Earth's gravitational waves emanated out, causing the nine to gain the ability to think and eventually gave them life. They then were able to pull themselves together into corporeal beings that now basically exist on the periphery of space and are incredibly powerful and mystical. And through Zer, they communicate with the rest of the people in the solar system. Yeah, see, that's what I mean. Like, Star Wars has the Force, and that's kind of whimsical. That's yeah. kind of like, ooh, ooh, that's like mystic stuff. No one actually knows what that is. But it's like, then you meet the wills and you're like, okay, come on. Yeah, like what? What's, what's what? this? What are we doing what, here? What are you talking about? What? Why? This seems dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The nine are basically that. Yeah, they are. They are so so silly. But they also don't matter. They don't. Yeah, that's actually the crazy thing. Like even what we learn about them, Destiny Two Year Six, it's more like as a prize for a side activity where you go to like a place where the nine reside and there's just a bunch of treasure around and a ghost unicorn. That you can pet. Yeah. And you're like, are you going to help us fight the darkness? And they're like, no. <laughs> Fuck no. We're more powerful than that. Maybe. Maybe. Who knows? We're, we don't care. We're, we're just going to hang out here and sell you stupid guns. <laughs> 
an armor that's going to have bad rolls if you're a warlock, but great war rolls if it's everyone else. And yeah, it uh, very bitter about that. Every every yeah. single time there's a new armor set, it's always like the warlock armor is just terrible. Zero mm -hmm. recovery on it. Anyways, so yeah, that's the thing. They're very dangerous and mysterious, and they're dangerous enough that when Marasov tried to spy on them with a set of spy bots called the Crows, it pisses them off. Now, Mara's like, okay, I gotta placate them. So she just sends them Skolas as a gift? Just like, you want him? <laughs> I assume they were like, no? Well, <laughs> I'll let you decide that, because the next part is unknown, but uh, Skola goes free, and it's heavily implied the Nine just was like, how about you just go ahead and leave? Yeah, I assume they were like, what is this? Get this out of here. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> So Skola goes back to the reef, breaks out the fallen from the prison of elders, and makes it his life goal to do three things. One, unite the fallen houses under him. Two, fuck on the reef. And then three, destroy the last city. And it's more or less that order. This rough outline of a premise of a character is going to become one of my favorite characters in all of Destiny. Mm -hmm. Come Destiny 2. Mm. Which one is that? uh aramis oh yeah 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 this is actually literally yeah you're right this, this is, is proto aramis. aramis this is proto aramis oh no wonder they just forgot about skullas because they have <laughs> yeah they, they have, have a better aramis. they have better skullas they have better skullas now yeah aramis is good aramis and is so good. yeah yeah that's basically what this outline is honestly enough. <laughs> <laughs> so basically she decides that marisov decides that She's going to call in that favor from the first game. If you remember, she was mm -hmm. like, hey, I'm going to call in a favor for helping you get to the Black Garden. This is it. So she's going to uh, basically have you come in to clean up the mess. And this is going to comprise of two things. Participate in a ritualized execution of everyone left over in a prison of elders in trial by combat, uh, which is the, just the main activity of this uh, DLC as opposed to having a raid. And then two, work with Mara's two most trusted advisors, not named Prince Older, to take down Skolas. She also opens up the Reef, a place called the Vestian Outpost, to meet these advisors, which is like a new social space, which was like really yeah. cool until you got there and saw that it was boring as hell. It's so boring. It's tiny and nothing's happening there. Nothing ever happens. It doesn't even look cool. It's like a hangar bay. Yep, pretty much. Uh, yeah. Like these, these are supposed to be space elves and you end up in like literally just a hangar bay. Like mm -hmm. a rebel base from Star Wars. It's just like, there's just nets hanging around. Yep. You just go to some dude's garage to have beers. They tell you to, like, squash bugs. That's what they do. It sucks. Yeah. Um. To be fair, that's, like, a lot of things in this DLC yeah. suck. Like, they introduced yeah. a new weapon that's just sidearms. It's called, what if we gave you a pistol? Oh, that's we a curse that never went away. It was so cool until you realize they just all suck. They all sucked. They never made a good one. Nope. So, <laughs> they made one good multiplayer one, but they never made one that's good for PvE. Anyways, mm -hmm. so, these two advisors that you meet. The first one is the Awoka Petrovenge, who yeah. technically got introduced like three weeks in to give you additional bounties when they went, oh crap, oh crap, we need to give we people more things to do. Yeah, so... Petra is cool as hell. Petra's so cool. Yeah. Uh, in this game, a little less cool, like many characters, much cooler in Destiny 2. But yeah. she's, she's around. She's, she's got a vibe. She does have a vibe. Um, trying to get an idea of that vibe in Destiny 1, by the way, is very difficult because a lot of people have put up Petra Venge's lines from Destiny 1 on YouTube. 
in seven second chunks where they give you one <laughs> single line and then go like, watch the other videos. And it's like, F- fuck no. What is wrong with you? Anyways, so Petra is basically like, what if I had Prince Aldrin's style in terms of hair and clothing mm-hmm. without being an asshole? Yeah. And it's great. She has like bright, like magenta hair. Uh, she sort of has an eye patch, but not really. And she just is like, I just like killing. And it's like, cool, we're going to get along. Yep. So she's a former Cosair or basically an elite Awoken scout. Now, when she was this scout, she was tasked with hunting down the House of Wolves during the Reforce, something she took great joy in since they were responsible for burning down her settlement and killing her sisters. It was during this time that she also caused one of the first big Guardian Awoken rifts when she Mm. called down an airstrike on a fallen position while a bunch of Guardians were there at the same time, uh, killing three whole strike teams, their ghosts included. Ah, right. (laughs) Yeah, kind of bad. Yeah. So this got her demoted and sent to the last city to help fix relations. Something that she was fucking terrible at. <laughs> yeah, I, that seems like a bad move. Yeah, because she was basically just very sullen and sad about this because she thought everyone there was dumb and basically a savage. Right. Also, it was her fault. Like, you usually don't send the person who fucked up to try and smooth it over. Yeah, not typically. No, you, you send somebody else for that one, but yeah. not Marasov. Marasov comes off as a real bad leader in Destiny 1. <laughs> Wait 15 minutes. It's going to yeah. get worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, she's absolutely terrible at her job, as it turns out. So eventually, though, she does get back in the Queen's good graces, mostly because she's very good at killing, mm. and she's soon promoted to Queen's Wrath, a.k.a. right-hand woman to the Queen who's tasked with hunting down and killing her enemies. So after the Vestian outpost is open. She is sent there to continue acting as a liaison between the Reef and the Guardians. She acts as the leader of this whole operation, and she's assisted in intelligence gathering by another. And that's Varix. Yeah. Varix is cool. Love Varix. I love Varix, too. He's a Varix with layers. Much like an onion. So, Varix the Fallen, uh, he is the guy who betrayed Skolas in the first place dooming the House of Wolves uh, to basically servitude. Now, his full name is Varix the Loyal, because Marasov has a sense of humor. <laughs> he is a fallen scribe, a.k.a. record keeper and storyteller, who, due to keeping said records, is well aware of Skolasin's lieutenants, and mm. why he was good when he betrayed. And through his contacts, is one capable of tracking him down. Now, Varys seems very... Varix seems very submissive and speaks in broken English, interspliced with clicks and other verbal tics, something that other Fallen believe is just to act to make him seem more servile than he actually is. Mm-hmm. Regardless of his true loyalties, he does seem to be on the side of Marasov and is pretty much of the idea that the wolves should stay under her protection. This is largely because Varix is incredibly old. Mm. So old that he was actually alive when the Traveler was still present on his homeworld of Reese and thus was alive when the darkness came and destroyed everything. So he's very much of the mind of like, I would like to get back to that point, please. Mm-hmm. Or at least not be curb stomped by the hive or whatever. Yeah, constantly starving and whatnot on the fringes of society. Yeah. yeah it'd be nice. Maybe moving past that would be good. It seems like it'd be good. So it's through Varix that we discover that Skolas has taken this fallen and gone to Venus in hopes of infiltrating the Vex network in the Vault of Glass, in hopes of gaining access to their technology. Now, the Guardian manages to stop him there, but not before he gains access to the Citadel. 
a giant Vex fortress in order to gain access to the Vex portal network. In hopes of traveling back to a more opportune time, because remember, they can do time travel, mm-hmm. and together, and like basically allow him to unite the clans under his rule. Right. You manage to stop him, and together with Varix, you transport him back to the prison of elders. For Varix, he felt a, that this was, should be like a triumphant moment for him, like he proved himself to Marasov, how loyal he was, but secretly he felt a sense of shame for, for betraying a fellow fallen for the mere safety of the Awoken. Something that is going to translate later to Destiny mm. to year, I think also year six, maybe year seven. Mm. Uh, basically when he starts dealing with Aramis, he's, there's right. going to be some issues with that. Yeah. Regardless, he feels like he did what he was told and he felt like he did it for the best purposes for his people. And Skolas is now in prison in the Prince of El- prison of elders once again. But that's not his final deal because he breaks himself out one last time and decides to make his base within the Prison of Elders, and there is where he finally meets his end, where you and a few other Guardians will complete the pil- compete in the Prison of Elders and kill him, ending Skolas for good. And that's the House of Wolves. Hey, why are Vex networks so easy to hack? That is a great question. People do it all the time. Everyone does it all the time. Uh, literally every species has done so by the end of Destiny 2. Yes. Uh, yeah, they have no IT, as it turns out. What the, their, their whole race is data. Mm-hmm. Why do they not have better firewalls? That like, every other race should be so beneath them. Yeah, how come everyone can can hack their network and access their portals all the time? Yeah, it's one of those things where like it's very clear that they wrote themselves in a corner with how powerful the Vex should be. Being their like future beings mm-hmm. who basically know everything and could freely travel through time and build as many of themselves as possible and terraform entire planets in days. And then they went, we got to give them a weakness. And I guess the weakness is that they're just so easy to manipulate and just do yeah, whatever. I guess they're just stupid robots. They don't see creative thought coming or guns. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> Like, the Hive can convince them to just, like, get into warship. The Fallen can just, like, steal their shit. The Cabal can hack their networks of Scions and get into their minds. And, like, you're just constantly just messing with them. You just travel mm-hmm. through time and just kill them in all timelines at the same time. Like They're just, just like, oh, shit, he's got a gun. Yep. We didn't we foresee this. <laughs> we, we left our giant white glowing weak spots open we should have put armor over that oh no hey this well this soldier's got a shield what do you think about that guard oh he's got a void gun oh no he can take down the shield okay well i guess we lose yeah i guess we're done (laughs) see you later i guess yeah the vex kind of suck yeah uh so the taken king yeah at least one year after destiny one now Taken King, when it was first released, it, it came with a bunch of huge changes, both gameplay and story-wise. So Taken King is when I actually got into Destiny. And in fact, my mm. PS4 is the limited edition Destiny PS4 oh, that they bundled with the Taken King. Beautiful piece of work, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, yes, that's a very good PlayStation 4. It is. Uh, but so, yeah, the whole first year is all secondhand to me. Mm-hmm. This is basically where I came in on it. Yeah, this is whereas this is where I was at my low point of destiny of being like, I can't believe I paid money for the House of Wolves. Mm-hmm. Why did I do that? Mm-hmm. And then being like, well, maybe they'll fix things here. And oh boy, are they going to fix things? Oh boy, uh, for both better and for worse. 
Yeah. Uh, starting with the story, there's going to be two big changes. One, they're going to actually have a dedicated like through line for their story compared to the previous two expansions where it's more like you get some dialogue and you're just sent off on missions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is going to be more or less what Destiny is going to copy going forward from here. Right. Um, and this, once again, it's going to be for mostly for good because like, you know, all those characters we talked about in greater detail, like Commander mm-hmm. Zavala, Ikora of the Warlocks and whatnot, uh, they're actually going to matter now and be in cutscenes and speak and do things. Wow. Yeah, it's, it is absolutely wild. The second thing is that this expansion is going to bring out the first and certainly not last major recasting. Mm. Because Peter Dinklage is now out as the voice of the ghost. And instead, prolific voice actor Nolan North of practically every video game character ever, <laughs> including one character that is literally just him. <laughs> and of course, Nathan Drake from Uncharted is mm. now going to take over the voice of the ghost. Now, this is not going to be just a simple recasting. Bungie is going to re-record every line in the original Destiny for consistency purposes. Mm making it technically impossible to hear Peter Dinklage's voice anymore, at least right. not in the game, which is mm-hmm. kind of wild. Yeah. So, Norse's take on the character is going to be interesting. Dinklage's take on Ghost was clearly a much more detached and almost all-knowing character, mm-hmm. whereas Norse is going to be a much more down-to-earth, unsure of itself, but at the same time, gung-ho on adventure take on the character. Right. I overall prefer it, at least in the context of what Destiny has become. When mm-hmm. Destiny was meant more to be the biggest thing ever to ever exist, I think Dinklage's take made much more sense. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. But now that the game's going to become much more personal, mm-hmm. I think, yeah, how they do it now is probably the best way to go about it. And now that, and especially moving forward, that Ghost actually is going to be kind of a flawed character? Oh, yes. Very flawed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, yeah, again, North's performance makes a lot more sense and works better. Mm-hmm. And another reason why they have to make that change is that starting with this, I, I think technically the previous couple expansions, this didn't happen, but definitely starting with this, your main character stops speaking. Mm. Like, despite the fact that this, they're going to make it much more about you and what mm-hmm. you do in this, as opposed to you just being one of many guardians. Right. The fact is, you just don't speak anymore, and so now the ghost has to have imbue that personality as well, mm-hmm. which I think is another reason why they went this direction. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, so there's also a bunch of other gameplay changes that they're going to do as well. Uh, probably the most consequential one is that they're going to up the level cap, and what they're going to do, and we're not going to spend a bunch of time on this because it's not mm-hmm. relevant to the story, but... Um, there's a big thing about how the gun's going to tell the tale. And you're alluding to this right before we start talking mm. about House of Wolves, about how, hey, you know, your gun, that's going to be the gun that's going to carry you through. People are going to look at it and ask you how you got that gun. With the exception of the exotics, um, any gun you have is now going to be capped at a level. And now you're expected to start the grind again and get new guns. And this was very controversial at the time. Right. Because it's like, wait, I have to start from scratch now? And even like your exotic weapons, which could still power up, need a special mats in order to mm-hmm. make them more powerful. And like, I'm not 99% certain that you didn't have to go and actually get new versions of those in the first place. Right. Like, it was a pretty hard cut in order to make you actually have to do different things. Uh, that, like, is now kind of the norm in Destiny. 
Yeah, and I still don't particularly appreciate it, but yeah. again, this comes back to I don't actually like the gameplay loop of Destiny in particular, so yeah. take my words with a grain of salt. I'm not one of the people, I'm not one of the fair amount of people who likes the game for what it is. Yeah, so. yeah. Now, one thing I do like is that they did introduce a new weapon type called Swords. Yes. Swords are really cool. And this is a Destiny aside, because mm-hmm. swords are basically a heavy weapon that, like, basically on par with rocket launches and whatnot, that right. have an ammo pool. But you Destiny 1 OG actually had you use swords, but they were very limited time sort of things mm-hmm. uh, that were, like, really, really cool. And then people want to use more. And so they went, sure, here you go. And so the big thing is that they're supposed to be really good for, like, your general mobs and, like, higher level enemies, but not, like, bosses. Mm-hmm. Bosses couldn't be stun-locked by them, so it's better to use something else for them. But there's just a cool thing if you just want to, like, run around and swing a sword, you could. Right. Now, once again, this meant for boss characters, they were bad. Except for one strike. <laughs> so, the original Destiny, there was a PlayStation-only strike where you basically had to go and defeat three Scions, you know, Cabal enemies that were regular enemies that just basically had boss health pools. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it's a very bad strike. It's a very, very bad strike. Nobody ever liked it. But in Tekken King, since you got swords, mm-hmm. what you could do is you could stunlock them. And what this meant is that you typically would get them down to a certain health pool. They would summon reinforcements. You defeat the reinforcements and then have to whittle them down again. Mm-hmm. Instead, what you could do is that if you had a team of three guardians and they were coordinated, you could melt them in seconds. <laughs> and then you just get that strike over with. And it always felt so good to do that. It also made it the best strike to grind on because of that. Right. So that's the Destiny 2 aside. I just really love that. It's a mm-hmm. really stupid game quick quirk. So, getting into the actual story of the Taken King. So, the Taken King gets us started by giving us an introduction uh, from the ghost as he begins to narrate over a map. And he recites, I was born as the Traveler died, as everything collapsed around us. Before that day, there had never been a ghost. There had never been a guardian. I don't really know much about the Traveler, but I know it made me to bring you back. And I spent a really, really long time searching for you. The Cosmodrome? Not the first place I looked. As I searched, as I saw the other ghosts find their guardians, and the centuries went by, I wondered if I would ever find you. And then I did. So I wanted to recite that verbatim, because this is the start of, once again, what I think is the new and current direction for the ghost's relationship Mm -hmm. with you, the player. It's much more personal than it was before. Right. Yeah. Once again, another like reflection of the overall shift of the story from you're one of many guardians to you are the guardian. Right. It also establishes the ghost as basically like a Labrador. Yeah. Yes, absolutely a Labrador. Yes. Like he to him, you and the traveler are his entire world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's absolutely. something that's not really gonna pay off till they get to Destiny 2. Yeah. But it's a it's a much more, like you said, personal connection. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. So after this, we cut to just outside of Saturn. As we see a collection of rhombohedrons shaped ships, which I had to look up a bunch of shape charts in order to find <laughs> rhombohedron. Because it's not quite a rhombus, it's not quite a quadrahedron, it's something in between. Now, these are all dark and medieval looking because they are high ships as they hover above the rings of Saturn. We see that they are about to be faced down by an awoken armada led by Prince Aldrin and Queen Marasav. 
They get into a big old battle, resulting in a lot of destroyed ships on both sides. We then learn from Marasov that they came out of nowhere, with a beast claiming to be king, intent on bending everyone to his rule. The Awoken included, but Mara says she will bend to no one. So Marasov, alongside a priest called the Techians, Get into their deal later. Sure. Some spheres of spheres of pure energy that destroy a bunch of hive ships, but have no effect on their flagship, the Hive Dreadnought. Now, a real problem because inside the Hive Dreadnought, we see its leader, Oryx, then summon a wave of energy that decimates the Awoken fleet, killing Marasov and Prince Aldred. So yeah, they're just dead now. Yep. Congratulations. So again, as someone who started here, mm-hmm. uh, I got to spend like vanilla destiny looking at the Awoken going, who are these people mm-hmm. for like a week and then watch them all explode. Yep. <laughs> and go, okay, I guess they didn't matter. Yeah. Guess not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> They're all dead. Like whatever. <laughs> so yeah, King Hive is now here to mess everyone else up. So then we cut to you flying to the Martian moon Phobos as we hear a transmission from Commander Zavala, who's actually speaking in a cutscene for the first time. Wow. It's great. What a change. Turns out the Cabal are basically blasting frantic communications between their different units, freaking out the Vanguard because they're typically radio silent, so they're like, they must be getting up to an attack on us. So upon getting to the base, however, instead what we find is something far worse. Ghostly corrupted figures of all the different enemy races, whether it's Hive, Cabal, Fallen, or Vex, all working together and imbued with new dark powers. Now, you barely escape this and make your way back to the tower to report your findings. Oh, yeah. This is also the first and kind of the last time that they added a new enemy faction to the game. Not true. There really? is the There is the score. Oh, yeah. Freaking forgot about the I scorn. don't blame you. I forgot about the score too because I also started writing in my notes. This is the first and only time they're going to introduce a new playable <laughs> ra- enemy race. And I went, oh, wait, the scorn. It's the scorn, right? Yeah, it's like, okay. uh, God, the scorn suck. Scorn suck. So, because their backstory is basically just to take, anyways. So, yeah, this, this, is the, this is the good one. This is the good one. So, in the meantime, we cut to another ghostly figure. A giant hive knight with huge demonic wings, floating in the air with dark vapor wafting off of them. This is Oryx, one of the leaders of the hive, as we see that the Taken are bowing, bowing before him. We then cut from Mars to the hive dreadnought, as we see this was just an apparition of himself. Oryx there, in the flesh, then details his plan to do what he did to his new army and do it to the rest of the people in the solar system, to take them all. So yeah, as we just mentioned, the Taken King introduces a new enemy race, the Taken, who are just kind of the Hive, but eviler? Yeah, and also like everyone else, but eviler? Yeah, it's basically like, okay, we need to come up with more content. We have a lot of these models running around in a bunch of these concepts that they all do. What if we repurposed them by basically making them black, but also glowy? Right. But they also gave him, like, new abilities that actually make them different. Oh, yeah. The Taken are considerably different to fight yeah. in a way that's like, very, like very interesting. Like a Taken phalanx, the, a, a phalanx is like a cabal monster with a shield, and it's mm-hmm. like, the, it will try, it will just hold up its shield and defend itself. But a Taken phalanx has, like, this swirling blast <laughs> on its shield that knocks you backwards, possibly off a cliff. 
they're so funny because Bungie loves to play some like near cliffs in like mm-hmm. blind corners. So as you run around, you just get just yeeted off into the <laughs> distance. It is funny every time it it's happens. Every time. Yes, it is the most consistent joke and is the best joke. Yeah, yeah, they act so much di- more differently. And so it's like one of those things where it's like, okay, clearly this is what you did to save time, but you did a good job with it. Yeah, you did. Like the the Taken Vex will put shields on their allies, the Taken Fallen split into multiple copies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're, like it's it's actually kind of crazy how different they fight. Yeah, it is absolutely great. I actually legit like them an awful lot. So the Taken are living things corrupted by darkness as directed by Oryx. So essentially, he uses the darkness to warp these creatures via the ascended plane. <sighs> Worry about that in Destiny 2. We'll get there. Because uh, that's a lot of awoken shit we're going to have to get into. Now, Oryx isn't the first person who's able to use the darkness in this way, but he is the most recent. Now, taking creatures are basically forced to do his will and theoretically cannot exist without Oryx. Which I guess, speaking of, we should talk about Oryx. And the hive. So strap yourself in, Alex. This is going to be yep. long. Yep. Okay. And most of this also coincidentally is not in Destiny, but there's wow. no better time. Yeah. Wow. Freaking, yeah. Just wait for the Witch Queen to get into this. Yeah, pretty much. Freaking Destiny, what? Year seven? Year B2 seven. B2 year seven? B2 year seven. Yep. <sighs> okay. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. So Oryx is an incredibly old creature. So old that, much like Varix in the Fallen, he existed during a time before the Hive became corrupted by the darkness. So, that's the first thing. The Hive's current form is not their original form. So, we'll get into that in a sec. Because mm. Oryx hails from the Hive's homeworld, the gas giant Fundament, a harsh world that consists of floating continents. Now, how does a gas giant have floating continents, you ask? By having so- a twin sister planet that got ripped up in its gravity well... So that was a actual home world of the hive. Okay, that's actually kind of cool. It's really, really neat. And it's also a really good establishing shot of like the hive are going to be hard as hell. Mm-hmm. Because the hive at this point are known as the krill, which is mm. a terrible name. Yes. Uh, good job of changing that one. So harsh existence they're living. And now they live basically as quasi medieval society. So. In this day, Oryx was known as Aurash, A-U-R-A-S-H, as opposed to Oryx, which is O-R-Y-X. And Aurish was actually a hive woman who was the daughter of the Osmium King. Uh, Osmium being one of the many kingdoms on this hell world that, uh, that they exist on. And she lived with her daughters of the Os- the other daughters of the Osmium King, her sisters, um, Zero and Sathuna. Now, Something so something about the krill is that they don't live for very long, right? Basically, like age ten is considered geriatric for them. Mm. And the Osmian king is turning ten. Congratulations, long live the king! Problem: he gets dementia, <laughs> mm. and like many people get dementia, he decides to start lashing out. And he basically decides his family sucks and can't protect the kingdom when he's gone. So instead, what he's going to do to solve this problem, he's going to invite a rival kingdom to show up the castle and then give him permission to kill everyone. That's bad. Yep, that's not great. So Arish and her sisters escape with the intent of raising a mercenary army on and basically like coming back to claim their birthright. Now, in the meantime, though, mm-hmm. something bad's going to happen. 
a strange giant worm is going to wash up on the shore. <laughs> and Orish's sister, Saruna, is going to see it, grab and be like, sisters, I can hear it talk. <laughs> okay. That seems bad. That seems really bad. And she basically goes like, hey, it's tell me, what if we fell into the gas giant's core using our ship? And it's like, it's we're not going to die, but instead we're going to get cool powers. And now the sisters disagreed about what to do because they can't hear this worm talk. But uh-huh. Orish is like, man, fuck it. We're going for the cool powers. <laughs> <laughs> so they get on the ship and travel down into the core. And along the way, they run into a creature called Leviathan, who basically goes, hey, mm-hmm. might be a bad idea to do this, but not for the reasons you think. And they go like, well, why is that? And she's like, well, you're going to have to make a choice between the light and the dark, and I guarantee the darkness choice will be bad for literally your entire race. And they go, cool, we're going to keep going. And so they keep diving down. And they get into the deepest part of this ocean of the gas giant where they encounter the worm gods. This is where it gets wild. For so long, Destiny kept talking about the Hive's worm gods. And I was like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. What do you mean? Yeah, because you never see them. You just hear about them and how they can imbue powers and whatnot. And they're a source of all the Hive's powers. And they commune with the darkness, all these things. Their thing is crazy. So we don't have time for their full deal right now. But mm. in short, there's five of them. You'll... Ur, Zol, Ur, and Akka. And they claim they've been falsely imprisoned by the Leviathan and the Traveler. And hey, in exchange for allowing us to reside within you and also literally be host for our larvae, mm. uh, we'll give you immortality and great powers. Good deal? Does that sound like a good deal? Yeah, yeah, sounds like a good deal. Now, uh, there's a kind of a genie's like wish monkey paw sort of thing with this. You have to follow your natures to the logical ends. Which indicates Orish was her inquisitiveness. And uh, if you don't do that, we will consume you whole. Just, uh, we're just going to eat you. So the sisters agree with this. With Zero becoming Zivu Arath, the god of war. Sathuna becoming Savathun, the witch queen. And Orish transforming into a man and becoming Ulrix, A-U-R-Y-X, the king of the hive. So they immediately go back to the people. And go, we're going to put worms in you. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, what? (laughs) And so they get worms in them. And then they go to the other, like, Krill kingdoms and go like, hey, uh, accept worms or die. (laughs) And they go, what? (laughs) And they get the worms put in them. (laughs) And this is what transforms them into the darkness-containing hive. Now... There's an additional little monkey's paw things to this because Oryx realizes that, oh shit, we've been tricked because mm. it turns out the worms, in order to sate their appetite and to sate the appetite of the hive that they, that's, that's they're controlling, they need to kill things. If they kill things, they basically feed on their, I guess, death essence, essentially, mm. and that feeds them and empowers them. However, the worms are taken more than the hive can actually exist with and they're consuming more and more by the day and eventually they're just going to consume the hive whole and leave nothing in this wake Mm -hmm. so they all the sisters all meet on the ascendant plane uh oryx zivaroth and salvathun 
and they're just freaking out what to do because since they're so powerful they can get into the ascendant plane mm-hmm. now they come up with a plan the sisters are like Ulrich, you're gonna kill us take our powers and use that to kill the worms and Ulrich is like sweet plan <laughs> so he does that takes her powers and kills one of the worm gods Akka and from there steals the ability to take people mm. corrupt them with the darkness and then he goes I'm gonna leave the rest of the worms alone I want to keep powers so with this he renames himself to Oryx the Taken King and then uses his considerable power to revive Zivoroth and Savathun now you may have noticed once again didn't kill all the worms which was right. intentional because once again he wants to keep power but they still need life energy of their slain enemies. So he decrees that the Hive are going to need to seek out new worlds and new creatures to kill. And in order to satisfy the more powerful worms that the more powerful Hive have, what's going to happen is that the lower level Hives are going to kill. They'll take a little bit of death essence, pass it on to like the captains and knights and whatnot, who will then take a little bit and then pass it on to like Zephyrroth and Oryx and whatnot. Essentially, he creates death magic feudalism. Mm-hmm. So... There we go. So that's the reason why he sent his son Crota to the solar system in order to basically kill everything that's there. So Oryx is in the solar system because with his son being dead, he's pretty darn pissed at humanity and he's there mm-hmm. to finish what Crota started. However, the huge battle with the Awoken has left his fleet sort of stranded, uh, taking the advantage away from him and giving it back to the Vanguard. So speaking of the Vanguard, uh, Zavala, Kate, and Ikor are all surprised that the Awoken tried to attack the Dreadnought in the first place. They're like, well, Marasov usually doesn't attack a stronger enemy. She's usually mm-hmm. more opportunistic than this. So, uh, we need to stop this Dreadnought because it's going to be pretty bad news if it gotten anywhere near Earth because that weapon was powerful. So Zavala and Ikor immediately get into an argument about what to do. And like, Kate's like, well, here they go. <laughs> like, he's like, I'm staying out of this. Ikora wants somebody to infiltrate the Dreadnought, and Zavala wants to strengthen the city's defenses. They keep bickering until Erismore just sort of struts in and go, They. Are. Taken. And they're, they just like turn to like, The fuck are you talking? What? <laughs> Eris, not now. Yeah, not now. Also, who let you in? <laughs> are you, are you Vanguard? I'm unclear at this point. Her allegiance is very, very strange, and the Taken King is going to muddle that considerably. So, Eris is walking around with a glowing orb. Uh, (laughs) As she does. So, Eris is walking around with a giant glowing orb that is the bone of uh, Ahamakara. Uh, We're going to learn more about these creatures in Destiny 2, as we mentioned, the weird wish dragons that are shapeshifters, but basically their bones are magic. Mm. And it's through these bones that Eris is able to commune with the darkness. This is relevant because of two things. It allows Eris to know what the Hive are up to, and also because it allows her to know that Oryx has been coming, and so she has come up with a plan. She secretly told Marasov that Oryx is bad news and convinced her to attack the Dreadnought with her fleet, while at the same time heading back to the Vanguard to convince him to infiltrate the Dreadnought with Guardians in order to kill Oryx. So here she is on phase two of the said plan. Okay. Phase one was get all the Awoken killed. Yeah, basically. Which... Good job. She's Good job. very, I mean, really in her wheelhouse, as it, as it turns out. Yeah. So she basically explains that the Tegan's deal, what the Tegan's deal is, and convinces the Guardians to go to the Dreadnought. Kay then just goes, oh, yeah, that's great. I'm going to, I got to go see about a ship. Zavala's mm-hmm. like, where are you going? We're not done talking. He's like, yeah, I know. That's why I'm leaving. Bye. So back in the hangar of the tower, we see a blonde woman with short hair, bandana and goggles, working on some ships. 
This is one of my favorite characters, Amanda Holiday. She's great. She Amanda is, rules. She's finally going to become relevant, but not relevant enough to basically spend a lot of time talking about her. She is a space Texan hotshot farmer pilot who is basically the chief mechanic of the Vanguard. I desperately want to talk more about her. We just don't that's, have the time. That's really all you need to know right now. Yeah, much more relevant in Destiny 2. So Cade walks in and we find out that Cade is having a modifying Eris Morn ship without her knowledge. <laughs> and Amanda's like, so uh, why are you doing this? He's like, oh, you know, I just kind of want to just trick her ship out. It'd be cool. He's like, and you just kind of want to fly off without telling Zavala. He's like, well, you know, I might be outfitting it with the stealth engine that I'm going to maybe sort of use to infiltrate the Hive Dreadnought to maybe do some reconnaissance. And, you know, maybe we could put that down on the tra travel log. She's like, all right, fine, I'll put down test flight. <laughs> and so she's like, man, I can't believe you're going to pilot this thing. And he's like, <laughs> I'm not going to pilot it. <laughs> no, nah, man, the player's going to. <laughs> So the plan is, is that with a modified stealth drive and Erisborn ship, which is like has a bunch of high stuff on it, you're basically going to infiltrate the Dreadnought, knock out its weapons so a general assault can happen. So you do just that, but not before the stealth drive breaks, just as you go in for a landing, and your ship gets destroyed. Um, something that Ares is going to be pissed about. <laughs> <laughs> to the point that she's going to hate Cade until the end of at least one of their days. It... it I do have to admit, something I didn't expect to get out of this expansion mm -hmm. was character interaction between Cade Six and Eris Morn. Yeah, right. And like how much I enjoy that. It is because Eris just is just dripping with venom every time she talks to Cade. It makes sense because he's like the character who can't take anything seriously. Mm -hmm. And she's the character who can't take anything not seriously. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea that they're at loggerheads is like very, very natural. Yeah, so you do all this, you track down and kill Oryx, but before he can finish the job, he jumps into the Ascendant plane to escape. From there, he continues to direct Taken, led by his Echoes, essentially those astral projections of himself to attack and take other enemy forces in the solar system. However, with Eris's help, you are able to enter the Ascendant plane, infiltrate deeper into the Dreadnought, where you kill the Court of Oryx, all of Oryx's daughters, his closest allies, and eventually force him to come out and fight you in his true ascended form, which is basically him, but giant. The man <laughs> is huge in an incredibly great raid. Ah, oh, the, the raid into Taken King is so good. It's really good. Now, it was so good that they also brought it back for Destiny 2, mm -hmm. but made it prettier. They did, did. They indeed did. That was the one where, like, no, absolutely, we gotta bring this one back. Yep. Um, to be fair, they bring back all of the raids in Destiny 1, except for the Siva Crisis one. Wow, weird. Wonder, wonder why that is. Mm. Guess we'll get into that in a second. Mm -hmm. So, you basically kill him by basically putting pure light inside of him, causing the pure darkness inside of him to explode, killing him permanently. <laughs> so, after all this, Eris Morn shows up out of nowhere, touches Oryx's sword. It then crumbles, revealing a dark purple gem. She then says, I have accepted my fate. I will not fail as the expansion ends. I don't remember if that gem ever is made good on. Yeah, do, do we know what she's talking about? I'm not entirely certain. When I do research uh, of Destiny 2, I'll find out, I'm sure. Right. I, I have an idea about where that might be going. Um, yeah. It just happened like four weeks ago. <laughs> 
So Oh dear. That that could have been a long play. It could have been a very long play. Oh geez. I can't wait to learn about that one. But yeah, there's the Taken King. Great expansion. Great, Great. expansion. Excellent. Um, I'm just remembering how cool it is running around the dreadnought and all the stuff oh, yeah. that goes on in there. That thing about the dreadnought, like people at first were upset because you couldn't use your sparrows, basically your hover bikes to get around. Mm. But they did such a good job of like every room and every hallway you walk down, it has like a mystery in it. Like Mm -hmm. some weird thing you can activate that's going to activate something else in a dreadnought or you need some sort of special device to do. Or you have to like figure out some sort of uh, puzzle in order to get a weapon like there, you do you can do a bunch of things in there to open up a new like story mission that allows you to get a new weapon called a sleeper simulant. Which, like, involves you having to solve a bunch of puzzles in order to get, mm-hmm. like, this cool gun. It's, like, this multi-step process that is just super-duper neat. And, like, they're gonna, like, try that in Fits and Stars in Destiny 2, but never quite to the same level of success, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, with one exception. There's one where they have, like, a mission that uh, they just changed randomly with a random update, where if you just walk off to the right, you just get an entirely different mission. <laughs> which was absolutely cool when they did that, and they never did yeah. it again. Mm. Uh, but yeah so after the Taken King Bungie was basically back in everyone's good graces mm-hmm. Destiny was fun again or arguably for the first time depending on who you ask <laughs> people are now actually looking forward to new Destiny content myself included except mm-hmm. there was a problem because you see in order for the Taken King to be as good as it was they essentially had to limit the scope and rush out the two previous DLCs The Dark Below and House of Wolves and just be all on deck for the Taken King. And a lot of the Taken King was stuff that had already been cut out of Destiny proper. Like the Dreadnought was supposed to be in OG Destiny, mm-hmm, for instance. Right. So they already had a solid base to work from to basically crunch for a year and get this really cool thing out. Now, this is a problem because as per the contract of Activision, what should have followed after the Taken King is two more small DLCs and then another large expansion. This was further complicated by the fact that at this point, Bungie was well into development for Destiny 2, slated for release in 2017. They just didn't have the time or the staff to do all this. Mm -hmm. This was an impossible task. So Bungie discussed this with Activision, and they got the deal modified. Instead of this DLC-DLC expansion cadence, for Destiny 2, it was now going to be like more frequent but smaller content drops in between major expansions, something that could be more in line with the expectations of the fanbase for continuous content. And also smaller content that would also set the expectations of like, this is not going to be like the Dark Blow where it's supposed to be big, but it wasn't. It's like, okay, this is just a couple missions. You can kind of do some cool things with this. Right. Uh, This will eventually become kind of like the season format that they're going to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this will also free up resources to make those expansions as good as they possibly could. Uh, They're also going (laughs) to do... Sorry. I know. (laughs) Some they're going to make good on. Others... Um... Now... They would also introduce other ways to monetize the player base to make up for lost profits for Activision, since they would have less DLC packs to sell. Um, which would get into, I hope you like spending 20 bucks on cosmetics. Mm-hmm. And loot boxes. Now, this is all well and good, but it's still going to be two years between the Taken King before Destiny 2 comes out. Something that I actually totally blanked. I totally blanked there was a year three of Destiny. Hmm. Now, Activision wanted something out in between to justify the expense of having all those servers and support structure up for this online game. So this leads us to September of 2016, one year after the Taken King, when Bungie releases the big farewell expansion to Destiny, Rise of Iron, 
the expansion nobody likes and at this point have <laughs> forgotten about. So yeah. Did you play Rise of Iron? I did. Yeah. Yeah, uh I remember that it happened. Yeah. Uh, there was red stuff. There was a lot of red stuff around. Uh there was a snow covered part of the Cosmodrome and there was a yeah. really cool social space and that's about it. Yeah. Saladin was like you are iron lords now. Mm-hmm. I was I, like, I don't know what that means, but thanks. Dig into the grimoire. And it's like, no. No. I so, haven't started till now. I'm not about to. No. and Waste of time. Waste of time. So nobody liked the Rise of Iron. Or at least I've never met anyone who said, yes, this was worth $30 USD. $30 yeah. USD, by the way. What the hell? Anyways. <laughs> now, it wasn't for a lack of trying. There were 10 mm. missions, a new patrol area that was the Cosmodrome, except Snowy, which I thought was cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very pretty. A new raid that sucked, but at mm. least wasn't as bad as Crota's End. I will say that one was arguably better. Mm. Mostly because it just, it just glitched out less. Like, yeah. mm. Crota's End, like when you fight Crota, it has so many different ways to glitch out. <laughs> Probably to balance out the ways you can cheese it that... Um, uh-huh. Sometimes you'll just hit Crota with the sword. He just won't take damage. The game will just uh, server side will just not recognize it. Just and, nah. Just nah. God, I hate God, I hate Crota and so much. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it uh, wasn't very good. The story itself was kind of tacked on as a sort of a coda to Destiny as opposed mm-hmm. to continuing anything, which may explain why they barely reference it in Destiny 2. Right. And uh, there's also a lot of new items you could get that weren't exciting, except for the exotic version of the old world rifle you got the start of Destiny. Which was super duper cool. Also, by the way, uh, I learned it's coming back for the final shape. Of course it is. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. I think, if you want to add as good of an indication that maybe Destiny 2 is finally wrapping up, it's not mm-hmm. that they're calling the final DLC the final shape. It's called they're bringing back the nostalgia gun. Yep. Now, yeah, that's, all... that's pretty much where it ends. Yep. Which uh, hopefully is as cool as it was in Destiny. Now, it was also controversial because this expansion wasn't playable on the PlayStation 3 or Xbox 360. So, previous um, versions of Destiny were, even though it did launch more or less, uh, uh, the, all versions launched day and date with each other, so PlayStation 4 version came out when PlayStation 3 version came out and whatnot. Mm. Um, it was one of those things where they made sure that all the content was compatible with both, which right. was a problem because the PS3 and Xbox 360 could barely handle those games. Mm-hmm. So they made the decision with this last one to be like, no, hard cut off. It's PS4 and Xbox One only. Right. Which, in retrospect, I don't know if that was worth it. No, there's nothing that goes on there that seems like it required the extra horsepower. No, I mean, maybe the snow particles, but like... Yeah. Yeah, it's... I don't know if it was worth all the rankling for over Rise of Iron. Yeah. I don't think it was either. And it's one of those things that you could migrate your accounts from like PlayStation 3 to PlayStation 4 very mm-hmm. easily. And I think you could do as many times as you wanted to. You couldn't go between platforms. So you couldn't go from like PlayStation right. to like Xbox, for instance. But you can you could at least do that. Um so I so it wasn't that bad to make that transition, but for people who are just like playing on PlayStation 3, it's like, well, sorry, you don't get to play the bad one, which uh Blessing in the size, I guess. Right. But yeah, so when when you get to Destiny 2, it's gonna be they're gonna continue that hard cut off and actually use the power of that system to do like a bore mm-hmm. with their social spaces and whatnot. Right. In a way that granted is hard to notice, but <laughs> it is what it is. We'll we'll get yeah. to that when we get to that. So let's talk about what actually happens in this. 
So long story short, there's a guy named Clovis Bray. Oh, God. Yeah, when I saw that name, I was like, no. Okay, so here's here's the pro here's the litmus test for uh, Rise of Iron, and mm-hmm. keep this in mind because whenever we get to Destiny Two, I'm gonna say something similar. Yeah, um, Clovis Bray is gonna come up again later in Destiny Two, mm-hmm. and when he comes up in Destiny Two, my response was, "Oh, okay, mm-hmm. who is that?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They build him up as this really big thing, and you just go. I didn't read the grimoire though. Yeah. Uh I Oh, he was in he was in Rise of Iron? Okay, I don't I don't know. So I don't the, know. Here's the thing. <laughs> he is in Rise of Iron in the sense of like a lot of the backstory that things that go on with it involve him. And he's like I think he's name dropped a couple of times, but him he, he's not physically in the game. Right, no, no, he's not in it, but I I assumed that they talked about him at least. They did a little bit, but not as much as you would think. Yeah, their tendency to do that is going to cripple their storytelling so many times. Yeah, just the like offhand mentions of like the world building and whatnot, but never committing. But then, but then, like four years later, they'll be like, "Oh, you remember that guy, right? He was super important." Yeah, you remember scene fourteen, right? But not go back to actually like remind (laughs) you what was said about them. Mm-hmm. They're just assuming you remember that offhand comment of a name that one time. Yeah, and it's like absolutely not. I have no idea what's going on with this. You are crazy. Yeah, it's... but also the man kind of like built Venus. He kind of did, and <laughs> arguably Mars as well. He's arguably the most per- important person pre-collapse. Yeah, yeah, and we're gonna learn about his deal a lot more in Destiny Two. Um, in Beyond Light specifically. But long story short, he's from the Golden Age, and he was a giant dick who mm-hmm. ran a business dedicated to helping humans advance technologically. Was this, this was developed the exo-robots, uh, space exploration, or whatever. Now, one of those things he developed was nanotechnology, and this eventually led to the creation of SIVA. SIVA is probably an acronym for something. Um, I couldn't find anything, so sure. it's just SIVA in all caps. Now, SIVA's whole thing is that it could break down any material and reform it into something else at an incredibly rapid pace. A pretty cool thing. Great for building colonies. Bad news, he based it off of stuff he discovered about the Vex. Ah. Yeah. And he also made every nanomachine independent and intelligent. Why? Not clear. Well, (laughs) not Why would you do that? Actually, yes, it is because technically the Vex are nanobots that are in radar and fluid. And they're all independent, so that's why. Okay. Yeah. He basically copied Vex's homework. Now, Clovis thought this was sweet, and he was convinced nothing could go wrong, so he didn't say, give it a kill switch or any safety measures. Mm-hmm. Now, he had this transported to on different colony ships to different parts of the solar systems. We also know that the Warmind Rasputin also had SIVA caches, caches. Uh, that it could uh, use on Earth and send outside the solar system. In fact, it sent a couple just outside the solar system for reasons I am not sure of ever or will ever be made good on. <laughs> uh, so eventually, the collapse happens and SIVA goes dormant. So later, after the last city was founded and they fended off the Fallen, the Iron Lords, remember the first ever Risen who later became Guardians were Iron Lords, uh, they... Th- are like, we're going to rebuild humanity, we're going to help rebuild the ci- build the city up. We heard about this thing called SIVA, 
we're going to go and find it, because that seems very useful for helping humanity get back on its feet. So hundreds of Iron Lords descend on the Cosmodrome to find it, only to actually accidentally activate Rasputin, who very much was like, I don't want you to do that. <laughs> now, unfortunately, Rasputin communicates via music, and the Iron Lords are too serious for music. Mm. So there's a miscommunication, and the Iron Lords continue to try to find it, and Rasputin goes... What if I bombed you with drones, unleash an army of robots, and then use Siva the Kree constructs to fight you? Why is the AI master of all of Earth's automated defenses only communication methods, music, and violence? Right? Yeah. Shouldn't he have a readout of some sort? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you would kind of think so. And I think technically in the Golden Age he does, because you could find some right. logs in the grimoire that has readouts from Rasputin being like, shit, darkness is coming. Shut off all the defenses. <laughs> um, protect myself. But yeah, I, maybe, I don't know, something during the collapse caused his like ability to speak get broken, so he's just like, I'm gonna have occasionally broken Russian that makes no sense, and I am going to communicate via music. Mm-hmm. Why aren't you listening to my music? I'm gonna make the music angrier! <laughs> so, yeah. Now, this is a slight problem because, you see, this allows Siva to get out. Um, one method for Siva to get out. There's also going to be another method it gets out. And it turns out Siva, over time, has created a new directive for itself mm. called uh, Consume, Enhance, and Replicate. So it starts... Wow, to that sounds a lot like the Vex. It's funny how that happened. Oh, uh, yeah, weird, huh? Yeah, it's a very Vex-like thing it's doing. So it starts to basically replicate itself en masse with whatever it can find, whether it's the surrounding metal or the Iron Lords themselves. Mm. So, and then they like make basically like spindly pieces of metal, essentially, uh, more or less. Uh, some people just get like modified and can like fight against others to help protect Siva, but that's like kind of the basic thing. Mm -hmm. Now, in the end, the remaining Iron Lords save Lord Saladin because they're like down to like eight at this point. Right. Uh, they seal Siva within a containment chamber with themselves in it, containing the crisis, but also leading Lord Saladin as the last Iron Lord. So Lord Saladin Forge is the last remaining member. Now, previously, he was introduced as the host of the Iron Banner Tournament, which was the serious people competitive multiplayer thing. Mm -hmm. That would happen on a rotation in the game. Who is, and he is very gruff, serious, and diligent about training new guardians to defend humanity. This expansion would be the best place to talk about him in detail. Uh, but we really don't <laughs> learn a ton about his thoughts and feelings until Destiny 2, so we'll save it for then. Alright, sure. He has actually a really good through line with Crow, I will say. Mm. Crow is the rescuer of characters in Destiny 2, as it turns out. <laughs> Just know that once he finds out that Siva has inevitably broken containment, he's going to be leading the Guardians, a.k.a. you, in stopping them. Uh, this involves you going to a really cool social space called Fellweather Peak that's basically just perched on a mountain that's all snowy, and mm -hmm. it's very, like, inspired by Game of Thrones to the point they have mm -hmm. a dog in it that is motion-captured by the same dog that was in Game <laughs> of Thrones. It's stupid. I love it. You barely interact with the dog. But, um... So how the crisis gets started is that the Guardians find out that the armor of those patrolling the Cosmodrome is being infected with what they call tech mites, causing their army to their arm to armor to rapidly like deteriorate and fail. This then infects the Guardians, who all cause them to do all sorts of weird things, whether it's fall into a coma, become paranoid, or whatnot. This eventually gets traced back to the Fallen, and Saladin, thinking something is up, takes point on the investigation. 
So he directs you to investigate the Cosmodrome where Siva is located, and you find the House of the Devils, a fallen house, appears to be weirdly augmented with red glowy technology, and it's from this that Saladin realizes, oh damn it, they broke into Siva's containment and got <laughs> infected. So, after learning the full history of Siva that I've already detailed, you go to Mars where Siva was first created, and you find out, oh, this actually is a failsafe. Turns out, Siva has a self-destruct sequence. Oh. Yeah, convenient. So you activate it to make sure there's no more Siva that can be created on Mars, and that basically contains what's left of Siva. Still, you find out that the Fallen still has what's left of it, and they're using it to infect their other members and are, like, trying to make them super strong. And you find out this from a fellow Guardian by the name of Shiro4, who is a big friend of Cade and will never show up again. <laughs> I freaking <laughs> forgot about Shiro4. Yeah, I did too. Now, you learned that the master hind behind the entire crisis was Axis, an Archeon, which is basically a high priest of the Fallen, who is modifying himself with Siva and making himself so much more powerful, uh, and then he planned to do the same with the Fallen, making him unstoppable. So you and a team of Guardians infiltrate the Cosmodrome wall, track him down, and kill him. I will say he has a cool design. He's basically an Archeon, so incredibly tall, basically like Fallen Captain, except mm -hmm. his lower half has been replaced with spider legs. Which is, of course. Yeah, which is pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It, once again, his, his, his raid sucks. But that's all right. Yeah. But th that's the Rise of Iron. Uh, it, the Siva Crisis will be referenced offhand a few times in Destiny 2. Not really any of this ever comes up again. But hey, Saladin will come back at least, so that's cool. Okay, yeah. Do, I don't know, does this even qualify as a crisis at this point? Not really. Like the Dreadnought showing up and blowing a hole in the rings of Saturn, that's a crisis. Mm -hmm. Crota escaping containment on the moon, that's a crisis. Yeah. Some nanites infected some fallen and a few guardians, I guess. And then we blew we blew him up. I, I don't know. That just seems like a thing that happened. Yeah. So off screen, they do mention that like a third of all guardians eventually get infected. So like, I guess that's the oh. crisis part. But okay, yeah. It's so tertiary in the entire thing that yeah, it, it, there doesn't feel to be a whole lot of stakes in this. You know, it's just like, well, there's this gray goo thing. You should probably destroy right. it. Congrats, you destroyed it. The end, kill some fallen. The, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I remember the gondola ride, and that was fun. Yeah. And that's literally all I remember about playing through Rise of Iron. There are legit some cool missions, and like um the Plaguelands, which is the part of Cosmic yeah. Dome you go to, and the social space you get, Fellwither Peak, are really cool. Like, I love super snowy Russia. Yeah, like, it was like good level design throughout. Yeah, it was, it was pretty great. It's just everything else around it is just like... Wow, this is the most nothing thing here. Yeah. Yeah. Almost like you had to get this out to meet a contractual obligation. Almost, almost like. Yeah. And that's going to bring us to the end of Destiny. Like, one year from now, they are going to release Destiny 2 with a new plan and a new idea of how they want to go about telling the story of Destiny. But unfortunately, without the, still with the ups and downs of sometimes it will be good. Sometimes we'll be bad. And in about, say, a month and a half from now, let's say, mm -hmm. we will talk about Destiny 2, a game that somehow makes a lot of the same mistakes as Destiny. Boy, does it. Such as not having enough content. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that will be for a month and a half from now. 
Alex, how are you feeling? Nothing happens in Destiny. <laughs> like, it's so weird that Destiny 2 comes out and is like the sequel and continuation of the grand story. It's like, what is the summation of Destiny 1? Mm. A guardian revived, met a robot, they did a thing. Mm -hmm. Then Oryx's son showed up, then Oryx showed up. You killed both of them. Mm -hmm. Like, Crota and Oryx are the closest thing to a point that happens in Destiny. Yeah. They're kind of the only things that have real ramifications later, if we're being and honest. Yeah, and it's like the, the summation of... What's happening with Eris and Crota and Oryx has some weight. And you're like, okay, so is that the plot? And it's like, it's like the harbinger of the plot. Yeah. It's like, that's, that's, that's running in front of the plot. Mm -hmm. The plot will sort of show up later. And then Destiny 2 releases with this massive thing that happens. And you're like, oh, this is the plot. And it's like, eh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like. It's like, when do we get to the point? Yeah, it, it's like OG Destiny is like the prologue. Yeah. And then yeah, it, it is. I don't know. It's weird. It's, I keep saying this to everyone I talk to Destiny about. Destiny is weird. Everything about Destiny is weird. Mm -hmm. It is such a weird game and its development and its progression and the lessons it learns and unlearns and relearns and reapplies and mm -hmm. misapplies. It is just it's so fascinatingly strange, ongoing, evolving, developing project of a game. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really is. And like, like eventually it, it takes them like so long in Destiny 2 before they finally get comfortable with like the story they want to tell. Right. Before they finally stop just being like, okay, we're going to tease some things that maybe or maybe not we're going to make good on. And instead, just to like, here's the thing. This is what it's dealing with. This is how we need to deal with it. Like, it's, I argue it, it's probably not until Beyond Light before they finally yeah. do it. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think Beyond Light, Beyond Light is what got me into the mindset of, okay, maybe Destiny is good now. Yeah. Like, for real this time. And I would say that their biggest problem at that point is... They look back at this and think that this is – they think that people remember all of this stuff mm -hmm. because they constantly call back to the stuff that happens in Destiny 1 and early Destiny 2 like it's fresh in people's minds. And it and absolutely like, is not, no. No, dude, this was on a website mm -hmm. on, after you ran down a dark corridor you won't, weren't supposed to go down, that you freaking talked about Clovis Bray and his fundamental – Golden Age technology. Mm -hmm. I don't know who that is, man. And even if it was in the game, it's like, yo, that was like seven years ago. Yeah. And you didn't know who that was when you told me about it. Mm -hmm. You just said a name. Yeah. And then just decided to write in what their deal was later. Yeah. Yeah. It's it makes Destiny very frustrating and it makes it very hard to actually research this because, yes. yeah. There are so many weird tangents and like offshoots that you have to like follow to its logical end because mm -hmm. it's kind of the only way to really like tease it out. But right. then by the time we get to like the latter half of Destiny 2, that's all of a sudden going to stop where I'm going to just mm -hmm. be like, oh, we don't have to do that anymore. That's nice. Right. Yeah. And it's and I think it's because maybe it's it's because, yeah, they run out of that like lore that they built up for Destiny 1. Like they get into like year six of Destiny 2 and they finally go. 
damn, we got to write our own stuff now. Mm hmm. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah, I don't know. Like Destiny 1, again, like you said, it's just three years of prologue. Mm -hmm. It is three years of world building, but not really. And tone setting and this somewhat, this one somewhat significant thing happens in the middle. Mm hmm. Yep. And uh, we'll see you for Destiny 2 when we actually make Destiny. Yeah, it's yeah. such a such a fascinating way to make a game. It is. It is strange and wild and wholly unique, I mm. would say. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Well, we probably should go ahead and wrap this up. But the first thing we're going to wrap this up is with a bit of a PSA. Just to let you all know, there is not going to be a new episode next week because there is just a lot of life stuff going on next weekend. Mm-hmm which uh, would normally be when we are going to record. But the plan is, is that after that, there's going to be about a month of content in between the time we tackle Destiny 2. Because mm. I have a backlog of some really stupid <laughs> things we need to talk about. So uh, I'm excited for that. You should, because uh, we're actually going to be going back into historical episodes, because there is something mm. really stupid I want to talk about that came mm. to the forefront of... Uh, I wouldn't, it was recent as of like a month ago. It's not recent now, but. Okay. But I look forward to that. But in the meantime, if you want to listen to other episodes of Fallen Through Potholes, you go to ftp.podbean.com or search for Fallen Through Potholes on your podcast service of choice. You can also find us on YouTube. Just type in Fallen Through Potholes and you will find us uh, talking about uh, really silly things like this. Uh, remember to leave us a review and a sub and a like, depending on what the service is. Leave a comment as well. Uh, tell us about the time you put worms inside of you to get magical pow magical powers. Or honestly, d don't. Uh, yeah, we don't really need to know. I'm going to assume it didn't doom your entire race, so. Yeah, it probably caused you to lose weight, but you know. Yeah. It's ultimately probably not as interesting. It probably isn't. I've, I'm, I'm a nurse. I've heard all the stories. Yeah. But yeah, you could do that by leaving a comment or on or go or emailing us at uh, fallen through plot holes at uh, gmail.com, uh, which you'll find in the description. So, yeah, Alex, thank you so much for doing this with me, as always. Of course. And take care, everybody. Take care.